Well, hey, looky there. Now you can hear me. It's good to see you all here today. And um, it's exciting. It's always exciting to see someone be baptized to uh, make public their uh, profession of faith. And it seems to happen very often that uh, the person who is being baptized is following in obedience because they, they're convicted that they need to obey what the Lord says about being baptized. And, and very often, it's not even someone who's just recently been converted. And so let that be an encouragement to you that if you're, if you're thinking, you know, I, I've been a Christian for, you know, 20 years and it would be weird to be baptized now after all this time. And, and let me encourage you, was that weird? I don't think that was weird for anyone. I think it was fabulous. I think it was wonderful. And uh, so if that's you... If you, if you know Christ, if you're a Christian, but you've not been baptized, we would encourage you to uh, come forward and do that and to follow him in that step of obedience. It's really, in, in a manner of speaking, it's the first step of obedience. And so we would encourage you to do that. And um, it's an exciting time, particularly for, uh, for, really for the whole church. Open your Bible, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and you can see there, in your bulletin that's uh, in the handout that's in the bulletin there, you can see that we're only going to be covering really verses 15 through 17, and that's because there is a lot in verses 15 through 17. And uh, as I said before, I can be long-winded. So we're going to take small bites and try and get through just these three verses today. But in preparation for that, it's really a part of a larger paragraph, and I want to read the whole thing together. So uh, we're going to start reading in verse 12 of chapter 5, and we're going to finish there at the conclusion of 17. So Romans 5:12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as a body, as a congregation, to worship you to declare that you alone are God. There is none like you. There wasn't one before you. There will not be one after you. You are unique. 
You are our creator. And you're our sustainer. You keep worlds spinning and you keep hearts beating. And the laws of physics continue to work because you say so. And so we praise you and we worship you. This morning we bow down to you and give you honor. You alone are God and there is none like you. And we praise you for what you've done for us in Christ. And this morning, as we come to this passage that uh, talks about the similarities and distinctions, differences between what it means to be in Adam and what it means to be in Christ, I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what you communicate here. Help us to think and think well and think biblically. I pray that you, by your Spirit, would work through the proclamation of your Word, even this morning, and do your work in our hearts. Father, we seek to honor you. We seek to understand your Word. We seek to grow. So we pray that you would be at work, even this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's that time of year again where the uh, Christmas movies will come out. And uh, some of you will watch those Christmas movies. And, of course, everyone has their own opinion about when you should start watching them. I know families that have banned Christmas anything before a certain date. And I see heads nodding. So solidarity. And others, it's Christmas all year round. And you'll watch the Hallmark Channel or whatever. And, you know, we're... Our family is not really uh, into Hallmark Christmas movies all that much, but I have heard confessions by some people close to us recently that they like those movies, and so we would encourage you to pray for those people. (laughs) For our family, we're more of a white Christmas kind of family, and uh, we like to watch that and and laugh together, and and I think we may have actually missed last year, and usually Brianna is the one who cracks the whip on that stuff, so we'll for sure watch it this year, but... There's another very famous Christmas movie that uh, you're all familiar with. It's A Wonderful Life. And that movie, I think, I've only ever seen it once or maybe, maybe twice, but I think possibly only once. And that was when I was, uh, Steph and I were first married, so I was probably 21, maybe, maybe 22 if we watched it at Christmas time. And, and um, it's, if you haven't seen it, you're the only one on the planet probably who hasn't, but it's, uh, it's about an angel who visits a very frustrated uh, Jimmy Stewart character to show him what life would, would have been like had he not done the things that he did, had he not been there, what would have gone on in the world around him. And the point was, you see how wonderful a life it is, even though you sacrifice so much along the way, even though you had to pay that price. And so I, I've never really cared much for that movie, so... And I think part of the reason I didn't care for the movie is because uh, maybe it was when I watched it in life, early 20s, and, and my perspective was a little bit different. But, but it seemed like the movie just hammered so hard on the price that he paid, the price that he paid, the things that he sacrificed, the things he had to give up, and deprivation. And it seemed like it hammered on it so much that I was like, I don't even care how it ends. I just, I'm done watching all of this, Right. And of course, if you watch the whole thing with a little bit of perspective, I'm sure it all wraps up and makes the beauty of the resolution at the end all that more, uh, more, more powerful because of all of the sacrifice and all of the things that were given up in, in that process. Well, 
though I haven't uh, really come to that place of my own maturity with that movie, that, that may be kind of where you find yourself in the book of Romans. That we have talked about hard stuff week in and week out, and week in and week out. And we've talked about heavy subjects like sin and death and judgment and punishment and all of those sorts of things. We've talked about heavy subject. And, and you, you may be like 22-year-old me thinking, okay, I, I'm kind of just ready to you know, move on to something else that's a little bit lighter. And it seems like that may be a little bit of what Paul is doing here. He's addressing this, this subject of the fact that we've, we've dealt with heavy things. We've dealt with a lot of heavy things. What's the perspective? How can we understand it? What can make it worth it? And that was what the problem was with that movie for me, is it just didn't seem worth it. He really did sacrifice a lot. But Paul, in writing this passage today, I think, is talking particularly about developing in us that perspective that helps us appreciate both the sacrifices that have been made and the blessing that is ours in Christ. Both the price that is paid, the, the depth of our depravity, understand that, the, the darkness of that, the weight of that, and because we understand the glory that is ours in Christ, the wonders of the blessings of salvation, being united with Christ. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is doing here in this passage. He talks, we're going we're gonna to work our way through basically one verse for one main point, and we're going to work our way through and talk about this. So we look back at verse uh, 15 there, and we, can, we see he's discussing the surpassing gift, the surpassing gift. All the way through, he's going to be talking about the realities of what it means to be in Adam, with the realities of what it means to be a sinner, and compare that to the surpassing gift of what it means to be a believer, the surpassing gift of what it means to be in Christ. And so he's comparing those two together, and that's why we've called this message the surpassing grace of Christ. So we start with the surpassing gift. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. I want to start by noting what we're going to see all the way through and we've already seen, and that's a discussion of the one and the many. The one and the many. He's talking about, this, verse 15, many died through one man's trespass. Many died. One man trespassed. And many died. You see the consistent teaching of Scripture. Very often, and particularly in this chapter we're looking at, that the actions of one determine consequences for many. And that's an important thing for us to grapple with in our effort to understand the Bible. You see, we're in a very individualistic society. You've, that's not a surprise to you, and it's not a surprise to you that, in my own opinion, Nevadans are exceptionally so. In, in our individualism, we love to do our thing and other people should just leave us alone. And I think we are even more so than the average American, individualistic. But the Bible functions in a very different way. You see that Adam acts. 
He does something. And all his offspring feel the consequences. Adam sins, and we bear the results. But God makes promises to Abraham, one man, and his offspring reap those benefits. Similarly, God raises up Pharaoh, one man, so that he can show his divine power and fury against him. And who pays the price? Pharaoh and the whole nation. You see this again and again. Think about Achan. Achan steals the forbidden treasure. And his whole household and his family, right down to his, his donkeys and his sheep and even his children, pay the price. In the Bible, God deals with people in a much less individualistic way than we are used to. And we've called this federal headship, where God deals with one person who's the head of a family or the head of a household or a clan or something like that, and he, he sees that person's whole family or people or clan wrapped up in him, being a single unity, a single entity with that person, with that head. And so God treats and interacts with that head with the idea of the whole clan or people or nation or family being wrapped up in him. And understanding that topic of the one and the many, how God acts with the one and has consequences and bears results in the lives of the many is important for us in understanding uh, the Bible in general and particularly this chapter. It was this chapter that convinced me of the truth of federal headship just by studying through it. And if we don't understand federal headship, if we don't understand that concept of, of one person representing all of those who are in him, then we won't understand this chapter. And if we don't understand this chapter, we're in real trouble because this chapter is about the gospel. And it's about how the gospel works. And so the first thing we need to keep in our minds is this concept of the one and the many because that has bearing on the surpassing gift and he, he's making a contrast here. At the conclusion of verse 14, he said that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. The biblical concept of a type is where you have particularly a, a, someone in the Old Testament or even an event in the Old Testament that, that is a real event. It's a real person with its, its own significance in its context, but its greater significance is that it points forward to something that's going to come in the future. It's a type. And so you have Adam, who is a type, a, a forerunner in a manner of speaking, or one who is like in many ways the one who was to come, which of course is Christ. And so here you're presented with two heads. The head of Adam, who's the head of his entire race, and Christ, who's the head of his entire people. So he, he started by saying, well, in some ways, Christ is like Adam. But then look what he says in 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So there are similarities and there are distinctions. Very important distinctions. And our goal this morning is to make much of those distinctions to understand why he's drawing out those distinctions. And he, he says here, just uh, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So he's saying something is greater about what Christ has provided, about what Christ has done, than Adam. What is that greater? 
what's greater? Well, of course, you know, this Adam's contribution was bad. And so Jesus' contribution is greater, is better. His contribution is good. The result of being in him is good. And that's not what he's talking about. He's not just saying this one is bad, this one's good. He's saying this one has a certain impact and this one has a greater impact. Particularly a greater certainty. Greater certainty. The free gift is not like the trespass. I think we pause for a second to define what is the free gift. That phrase free gift is mentioned in this, just in this context several times. And so I think we can get a definition uh, of what it is. We, we have to understand free gift and he's talking about justification. The free gift in this paragraph is essentially justification. It's, it's the gracious declaration by God that the person who is in and of themselves a sinner has been declared to be righteous by God because of Christ. That's justification, declared to be righteous because of Christ's righteousness. And that's the free gift that he's talking about here in this paragraph. But how is, how is it that we can say there is a greater certainty of the realities of Christ, the greater certainty of what we inherit in Christ, even than what we inherited in Adam? Well, let me see if I can tease that out for us a little bit. God is just and he's holy. And he punishes sin. He surely punishes sin. He certainly punishes sin. That punishment of Adam's sin, which we have inherited, is certain and it's sure and it's right of God to do that. God is committed to punishing sin. And we talked at the end of uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 of how that's all of us. And we've talked uh, in this last paragraph about how even, even those who, if they weren't, ha- weren't to have sin of their own, they still are guilty because of being an Adam. They inherit Adam's sin as well. And so the judgment upon mankind, the judgment upon sin is a certainty. God will judge sin. But there's a greater certainty. A greater certainty even than than that. God has an even more basic commitment to exhibiting His glory, especially in showing mercy in redeeming sinners. A quote here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Ephesians chapter 1. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Talking about salvation. Talking about those blessings that are ours. And then he enumerates them. But my point is, why did he do so? Why did he bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Verse 6 tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. It was according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious Grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God graciously saves sinners as one of his greatest demonstrations of his glory and grace. And so, yes, it is sure and certain that God will judge and punish sin. That is a certainty. But God has an even greater commitment. He has an even greater commitment to his glory that results in the punishment of sin But his his glory is even more magnified in the mercy that he shows in saving sinners. And so is it certain that he will judge sin? Yes. It's even more certain that he will glorify himself in saving sinners. And so we can say that there is a greater certainty to this salvation that we have in Christ. 
as certain as we are that God will justly punish sin and, and without diminishing that certainty, we may say that there is an even greater certainty that we can count on the free gift even than that we can count on the judgment of sin. He says, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So there is a greater certainty even than of the certainty of judgment. But there's also a greater abundance, a greater abundance, thirdly. I want to explain this by using an illustration. We Imagine that a person were to inherit a million dollars in debt. That's a bummer. Yeah, Chris thought, how oh, a million bucks? He was on into that. A million dollars. Imagine, imagine you inherit a debt of a million dollars from your parents, from, you know, the, the non-rich uncle, however that worked out. You ended up inheriting the debt of the million dollars. Now, that's, that's a drop in the bucket compared to what we inherit from Adam. A million bucks? You could pay that off. Now, imagine that someone else graciously gave you a million dollars. That's wonderful. Can, can you imagine the relief? Right, the, the joy returned to Chris's face, right? <laughs> right, you, someone gives you a million dollars, right? That is grace. That is glorious. That is wonderful. And where's your bank account? Zero, which is how most of us start life. So, you know, that's not too bad. And that, that, that person who gave you a million dollars, they really did, in fact, give you very great uh, and gracious gift, right? Imagine the joy that you would have. But you're brought right back to zero. The abundance of the gift that we have because we are in Christ is so much greater even than that magical million dollars that brought you back to nothing. You see, in, in Adam, we inherit the guilt. We inherit the debt that's so much beyond. You can't even calculate the debt. It's, it's unpayable is the point. That's the debt that we inherit because we are in Adam. Now, if Christ were to come and give us as a free gift the payment of that incalculable debt so that we're brought right back to zero, that would be wonderful grace. If he were to forgive that debt and say, okay, now do the best you can, that would be grace, truly grace, and it would be deadly for each one of us. It would result in the same consequence in our own lives. But... When we talk about what Christ has given us, Christ has so much more than just erased our debt. The free gift is not like the trespass. The trespass was this much. The debt was this much. And the free gift is super abundant and beyond that. So that, so that we find ourselves not with a zero bank account, which we would be happy to have after the negative million dollars. We find ourselves not at zero. We find ourselves wealthy in Christ. And so when you compare and contrast what we inherit because we are in Adam versus what we inherit because we are in Christ, you see that Christ surpasses and his gift surpasses the inheritance that was ours in Adam. But he's not done. He continues in, in 16 talking about the surpassing results. He says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. You see, one trespass 
leads to many. One trespass leads to many trespasses. Again, we talked about the one and the many. Here, that one trespass of Adam leads to you having a corrupt nature, a sinful nature. And so what do you do practically in your life? You sin. So Adam committed the one trespass, and what do we inherit? Many, many trespasses. And so you and your personal life have committed multitudes of trespasses. And think about how many offspring Adam has. And so now you have a multitude of people with a multitude of trespasses. The one trespass leads to many. But what, what happens? The, the, the judgment, he says, following one trespass brought what? Condemnation. So even just the one trespass brought condemnation. This is point B. One trespass leads to condemnation. The wages of sin is death. Adam sinned, and so the verdict of guilt was rendered, and the penalty was condemnation. It was death. That's what resulted from it. And so, again, we have that federal headship where you have Adam sinning on our behalf. You have Adam sinning and it be counted as us. We are the ones who sinned in him. So one trespass leads to condemnation. Now, do you like the, the math so far? I don't like the math. If one trespass leads to condemnation, just one and how many trespasses are in reality for me? Do I, do I only look back to Adam's sin? And am I only upset or do I only bear the penalty because of the one thing that Adam did? Oh, no. I have contributed countless sins of my own. And if one trespass leads to condemnation and I have countless trespasses, what a pickle. What a condition we find ourselves in of guilt before God. I can't, even, I can't even fathom that guilt. And that's what we've been talking about to this point. That's what the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 and chapter 3 has been talking about. Our personal sins and that we all have them and therefore we are all guilty before God. And, and here in chapter 5, Paul has talked about not just our personal individual sins, the things that we have done. But he talks about the reality that even if you had not done those things, yet you were represented in Adam. And when he sinned, you sinned. And so you're guilty and you, you bear that penalty even for that. I don't, I don't like that math. But look what comes next. Look at 16 again. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Many trespasses, then justification. This is where we have a massive, massive inequality when we contrast the result of Adam's sin, the, the things that we inherit from him and the, the result that we get from him and contrast that with what we inherit in Christ. There is no comparison. One trespass which leads to many trespasses in my own life. And each individual trespass should bring condemnation. That is awful. That is horrific. And what do we have over here when we are in Christ? We have all those trespasses. And what, what do we inherit? Justification. Such a debt that I can't imagine. That million dollars is chump change. 
The, the debt that we inherit is, I can't even comprehend that debt. And what do we receive? What do we get? Not the multitudes of multitudes of condemnation that we deserve. After our multitudes of sin, we receive justification for those who are in Christ. There is no comparison. Jesus does not just bring forgiveness for Adam's one trespass. He doesn't just set that one right, pat us on the back and say, do your best. Deal with it personally. He graciously gives justification after many, many trespasses. He, he reverses, but not only reverses, he surpasses Adam's contribution. The gift of being in Christ, that free gift is surpassing. It is greater in every way. It far, far exceeds the result of Adam's curse, as bad as Adam's curse was. And this is where we begin to see the conclusion to It's a Wonderful Life. This is where we begin to see the perspective of what makes it okay. Because, I mean, how long can, can, can one person write about the sin of mankind and not fall into despair? He started in 118. He goes all the way to 320 and then that's not enough. So he picks up in chapter 5 and starts talking about the guilt that's, that's ours that we've inherited. Not even just the stuff that we've done. Christ's gift is even better. It is surpassing. And thirdly, this is where it gets really good. The surpassing reign. The surpassing reign. R-E-I-G-N. Verse 17. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Firstly, the reign of death in Adam. We've hammered that hard. And so we'll move on. Secondly, you would expect him to say, because Paul likes to write in parallel, and if you're, you're writing something that's going to be read for 2,000 years, you're probably going to write things in parallel. And so what he says in verse 17 is, Death reigned in the first part, and who reigns in the second part? You expect it to say, Life reigned. That's not what it says. What's the subject of the verb? Who reigns in the second half? Those who receive the abundance of grace. Those, we believers, reign. So he says in the first half, death reigns. And we call to mind the things we talked about in the last couple of weeks. We call to mind all that he has uh, talked about in the previous paragraph. Death reigns. We understand that. We get that. But when he comes to the second half, when he comes to what it means to be in Christ, he doesn't say life reigns. He says, believer, you reign. You reign in life. You reign in life through Christ. It becomes worth it. It begins to make sense. Well, so I've said we reign several times. How? How do we do that? Well, the grace of God is at work profoundly in the act or in the moment of justification. This is a distinctive of Christian theology is that a person is declared righteous before God in a moment. By grace through faith. It's a declaration God makes. This is unlike every other religion 
where you accumulate a certain status or something and then can be declared righteous before God after some manner of growth, some, some, some path that you follow, some ladder you've climbed. Christianity says by faith in Christ, by grace through faith, we are declared in a moment to be righteous. That's an act. That's a moment. And that is glorious, glorious grace. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. The grace of God in Christ abounds far beyond just the moment of transfer of guilt and righteousness. For example, he's going to argue in chapter 6 that the believer is set free from the tyranny of sin because he's in Christ. That's what it means to reign. He's going to argue in chapter 7 that the believer is set free from the tyranny of the law because he's in Christ. That's what it means to reign. And he's going to say in the beginning of chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation because you're in Christ. You've been set free from that condemnation. That's what it means to reign. And he's going to continue in chapter 8 to talk about the fact that, yes, we've been declared to be righteous, but we still live in these sinful bodies. We still have this flesh. Well, guess what? He's also given you his Holy Spirit to live within you. And what does his Holy Spirit do? He gives life to your mortal bodies so that you even reign over the flesh. What does it mean to reign in Christ? How is it that we reign? It's not just life reigning. That's true. But he's saying something more here. He's saying, believer, the grace of God is more than only justification, which it would be enough if it were only justification. But it is super abundantly beyond that. So that we are no longer under the tyranny of sin. We are no longer under the tyranny of the law. We're no longer under the tyranny of condemnation or even of the flesh. Christian, you reign in Christ. You reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is what he's done for you. This is, this is the extent of his grace at work in your life. It's so much more than just, just a moment. And that moment would be adequate, but he does so much more than that. But he says, verse 17, Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Who's this for? Who reigns? It's for those who receive. It's only for those who receive the abundance of grace and the, and the free gift of righteousness. It's only for them. And so this is where I want to conclude our time today is that call, that reminder that these glories, this, the, this surpassing grace of Christ, the gift, the, the wonders of this salvation, not everybody gets it. Not everybody receives it. Not everybody benefits from it. These things are true and they are true all the way for the Christian and they are not true for the one who doesn't receive the gift. So this is the call of God to you this morning is to receive that free gift of righteousness where you recognize yourself in this equation and you see that you yourself have sin that's unfathomable and the depth of that is amazing and you could never repay it. And not only that, but you are a child of Adam and you have inherited his guilt as well and the judgment for that is condemnation. 
And so you have condemnation upon condemnation. This is where you stand, but God doesn't leave you there. He, he doesn't leave that and walk away and destroy us. He could have, but he sent his son. He sent Jesus, who as the propitiation for our sin, went to the cross to bear the wrath of God for our sin. Before he had done that, he had lived a life of perfect righteousness and perfection, so that by faith in Christ, what do we receive? We receive his righteousness, and our guilt and the punishment is put on him. The wrath of God is fully expended for our sins in him. So that we stand before God righteous. We stand before God forgiven. We stand before God free in Him. And not only that, but we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The call of God for you this morning, the, 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 the command of the gospel is for, to, for you to repent of that sin, to repent of that whole way of thinking. Turn from that Turn from reliance upon yourself and instead turn to Christ and you will find forgiveness in Him and you will find that He is a perfect Savior. Put your faith in Christ even this morning. That's what our, our two baptismal candidates were declaring before you. That's what's happened to them. That's what God has done for them. Won't you respond in faith also? Let's pray. Father, I... Words fail to describe the, the, the wonders, the glory of what it means to be in Christ and reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would take these few words spoken today, take this passage and work in the hearts of each one here. Father, we, we give you glory. And we praise you that we get to be in Christ, our federal head. That we get to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Father, may we give you glory. May we, may we go out of here with hearts full of gratitude. May we be changed by these truths. May we give you thanks. And I pray that you would use this gospel proclaimed to draw many to yourself even this morning. That those who are still on the outside, those who are still in Adam, those who still bear the condemnation as children of wrath, they instead would turn from that, turn to you in faith, and that they would find forgiveness, that they would find justification, that they would find peace with God, that they would learn what it means to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. God bless you all. If you want to pray with someone, there will be someone up here to pray with you. Otherwise, you are dismissed. And God bless you.